Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. This July, the world recorded its hottest week ever, with a global average temperature of 17 degrees Celsius. Such extreme heat creates major challenges for cities, where a concentration of structures and activities and a lack of natural surfaces create an urban heat island effect. As human-induced climate change and global weather phenomena such as El Nino drive more frequent and severe heat events, how can local authorities protect people living in cities? How can they address the inequalities that make some urban communities more vulnerable to heat waves? And how can cities balance the need to cool down now with the longer-term goal of transitioning to a low-carbon economy? I'm Jessica Voorhees, and you're listening to OECD Podcasts. To explore these questions, I'm speaking with Andrew Lombardi, an OECD policy analyst focused on cities and urban policies. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for speaking with me today. Hey, Jessica. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So currently, hundreds of millions of people across America, Europe, and Asia are enduring blistering heat waves. And we're seeing that in many places, those living in cities are particularly affected. What are the impacts of extreme heat in cities? As we know, cities are hubs of economic activity and culture. It's where the most of the world population is concentrated and where most of the world's economic activity takes place. But extreme heat makes life unbearable and sometimes even dangerous in cities. And it's putting lives and the economy at risk, which put lives at risk in a, in a different way. So in the U.S., extreme heat is the number one weather-related cause of death each year. Almost all heat-related deaths are considered preventable, either through preventative measures ahead of time to cool cities down or mitigation measures to protect residents during heat waves. So again, urban heat is really putting not only lives at risk, but also livelihoods. There was a 2020 study that reported that per capita GDP in South Africa could decline by as much as 20% by 2100 as heat puts extra pressure and extra stress on physical laborers working in areas and sectors like construction, for instance, but others as well. And extreme heat can also literally melt or warp city infrastructure. So recently it was discovered that in Chicago, the ground underneath the city is basically melting. The city in some ways is sinking and it's causing damage to the subway system. And this is really dangerous. There's layers of the ground that are expanding and contracting under intense heat that the infrastructure was just not built to be able to deal with which is leading to cracks and deformation in not only building foundations, but also the railway infrastructure. So it's not hard to imagine that this type of large-scale damage to infrastructure could have really dire consequences on the ability of cities to function and endanger the safety of residents. You mentioned the dangers of heat waves for people working outside in construction. And there's been a lot of discussion recently around protecting outdoor workers from extreme heat as there have been increasing deaths from people working in scorching conditions out of economic necessity. So we see there are some communities that are more vulnerable to heat waves, and it's often the poorest people who are bearing the burden of rising temperatures. How do you see heat waves increasing inequalities in cities? These urban heat islands, like most issues, affect low-income residents disproportionately in most cases. Part of the issue pertains to energy affordability especially due to recent spikes in energy costs over the last year or so due to many global shocks. For instance, 
In Portland, Oregon, in the U.S., city officials recently reported that many of the 64 residents who died from a 2021 heat wave were found in their homes without a fan or air conditioner. So this just goes to show that the poor and and low-income residents just do not have consistent access to cooling technology or or the ability to stay cool in a crisis due in many cases to to energy affordability. The disparity is visible in data at the neighborhood level as well between low and high income neighborhoods and heat. There's a strong correlation in many cities across the world between income levels and temperatures among different neighborhoods actually. Essentially, the poorer your neighborhood is, the hotter it usually is there. This is for a few reasons. It's an urban design issue. It's also a labor market issue. The less shade and the less green or blue space in an area, the more metal and concrete there is, the hotter it will be. It's very simple. But what does this have to do with inequality? Well, the poorest neighborhoods are often higher density. They often lack shade. They lack access to green space, lack ventilation in many cases, which all can contribute to higher peaks in temperature. But also during heat waves, governments will issue public health warnings advising residents to stay home and stay out of the sun. But low-income workers who lack flexible schedules or lack the ability to work remotely don't have this luxury. So there is already disparities, already inequalities in cities along all of these axes, housing, employment, access to services, and like many other things, a, a drastic heat wave can just exacerbate these inequalities. And so how can urban design and building standards be used to mitigate the impacts of extreme heat on urban populations, particularly in these low-income areas? So there's bad news and good news. The bad news is that this is an issue in a lot of cities around the world, and it's not an overnight fix to redesign cities. But the good news is there's a lot of urban design innovations that cities can use, and many already are using, to cool down buildings and streets and other infrastructure. So Cities can promote or incentivize or even share with with developers building designs and home designs for more natural ventilation. So natural designs that can keep uh, buildings and even other types of infrastructure like train stations cool uh, without the need to artificially cool them, which can save energy use as well as cool things down. There's also the option to use building materials that absorb less heat and coating roofs and coating streets with reflective paint that does not absorb heat. In LA, 10% of the city is covered in black asphalt. It's really a very car-friendly city with notorious traffic, uh, car traffic problems. And it's been covering its roads with a white-colored sealant with high reflectivity, which has reduced temperatures by several degrees Celsius. In New York, there's millions of square meters uh, in just roof surface area across the city because it's so dense. And the city's covered more than half a million square meters in heat absorbent roof material with reflective coating as well, which is reducing emissions by cooling buildings down to the point that they've reduced their their emissions by 3,000 tons per year. Really impressive. There's also planting trees on streets. I believe it's Freetown, Sierra Leone, that's had a huge tree planting initiative Thousands and thousands of trees have been planted all over in order to cool the city down. There's also blue space. I think we talk about green space a lot more than blue space, but creating ponds or lakes, no matter how small, or canals, what have you, can can also really contribute to cooling an area down, which is really an innovative solution as well. So, Andrew, you're coordinating the network of the OECD Champion Mayors for Inclusive Growth which is a platform for local leaders to share their innovative solutions to the most pressing challenges cities are facing. 
What effective strategies and initiatives are you seeing from mayors to tackle extreme heat in their cities? Well, I have to start with my current home city, Paris, France. Champion Mayor Anne Hidalgo has been working on several fronts to adapt to summer heat waves that have become increasingly intense in recent years in Paris, but she's really met it with, with increasingly intensified efforts. For one thing, the city's created an interlinked network of cool islands, parks, and pools in spaces which are typically two to four degrees Celsius cooler than surrounding streets due to either the vegetation of the area, the green and blue spaces, as I've talked about. Paris Plage, which is, a, you know, the Paris Beach translated, is an initiative of hers to basically clean up the, the waterways around Paris to a degree that residents can swim in them, which if you know anything about Paris over the last century or even the last 20 years, this is a, an incredible accomplishment. It's unthinkable that people would have been swimming in the, the Seine or in any of the canals a few years ago. But actually, this is a great initiative to not only cool the city down through increased vegetation, increased green space and blue space, but also to provide uh, relief for residents from heat waves. I live in the 19th arrondissement, which is historically and still to, to this day, more low-income, more immigrant-heavy neighborhood. And while most of the population of Paris leaves for part of the summer on vacation to a beach somewhere or to a countryside somewhere. This is not an option for most of the residents of the 19th and other poorer neighborhoods in Paris. So it's really important right outside my window, there's the, the canal, which has a Paris plage on it, where kids and residents of all ages can visit the cooling center. It's like a misting station. There's beach chairs. Yes, they have the right to swim in the canal as well. I've done it myself and I survived. So this is a really great initiative for people that don't have the luxury really to leave the city when it's 40 degrees Celsius or what have you. And I think that this is a great example of the, the intersection between inequality in cities and this heat wave issue. There's other initiatives that cities like Paranquia Colombia, which is led by champion mayor Jaime Pumareco, which have done a program called Todos al Parque. So everyone to the park. And it's to create the little pocket parks in cities so that basically every single person is within a few minutes of some green space. Obviously, this is valuable for many reasons. Uh, we need green space in our lives and in cities. It cannot be just nothing but a concrete jungle because there's lots of correlations between mental health and access to green space in cities. And why is that so important to have a pocket park near you? Why not just go to the one gigantic park you have in the city? While these beautiful, pristine, well-manicured parks like Central Park or the Jardin Luxembourg in Paris are beautiful and stately, they're not always quite so accessible for more low-income residents who are relegated to the edges of the city. I, I think that a project like Mayor Pumareco's uh, Todos al Parque is a really great example of having these micro parks, pocket parks, where everyone has access to it and making sure that those green spaces are really well distributed. So we see that city leaders are implementing really innovative and inspiring solutions to mitigate and adapt to rising temperatures. How can they work across borders to share knowledge and best practices with other cities across the world? The types of forums like the OECD Champion Mayors Initiative, as well as other city networks and these international organizations are venues where mayors can both share their best practices and ask for help. Say, I'm coming up against this problem. We have this issue and I cannot solve it, or I have 
partially solved it, but I'm looking for some way to break through. This is indeed a, a global issue. It's not just rich cities facing this problem. It's not just Western cities facing this problem. It's an issue in the global North. It's an issue in the global South. It's an issue in big cities, small cities, developed cities, developing cities. So these types of global forums to have these discussions are, are really valuable. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.